Welcome to the Cyber Series, a podcast brought to you by Ankura, the global expert services and advisory firm. In this series, we talk to industry experts about current trends and how best to navigate the cybersecurity, data privacy and technology issues impacting businesses across the world. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Horseman and welcome to the Cyber Series podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with my special guest, Bex Snyder, who leads our digital forensics and cybersecurity practice in Australia. So, Bex, welcome to the podcast. Tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at Ankura. Thanks for having me, Adam. So, as you said, I'm Bex Nighthurt. I live in the wonderful state of Western Australia. I have been involved in cybersecurity for quite some time now, but you know, my passion and, and specialty does lie in digital forensics and incident response. But of course, you know, responding to incidents isn't all we need to do in cybersecurity. The ultimate aim is really to make sure that organisations don't have those incidents in the first place. And if they do, that they have, you know, sufficient safeguards in place that can minimise the impact of those cybersecurity incidents and allow them to recover as quickly as possible. So uh, the cybersecurity practice as a whole has those kind of proactive services in place to try and help organisations avoid those incidents and and minimise the the impact. But then if that happens to occur, we can step in and, and help So a lot of ransomware cases, we work on business email compromise. It's quite devastating, but it's really engaging work and it's great to be able to make a difference. That sounds great. So what's your journey look like coming into Ankur and how did you end up in cybersecurity? Sure. So every time I hear people kind of start off by describing their journey into cybersecurity, they seem to caveat it with the... I didn't have a typical journey into cybersecurity. And then I would always kind of come back with, well, I don't think anyone really had a typical journey into cybersecurity. You know, we've all come from our own unique places and and I'm no different really. I didn't know cybersecurity was a career option until my mid-20s. Even though I'd already been doing a lot of things that related to cybersecurity as er, you know as early as my teens, so the blaster worm came out. You know, it was impacting my ability to do my homework. And um, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> managed to download a Windows patch, and then of course it's quite widespread and. My mum ended up driving me around to relatives' houses, my friends' houses, and I'm patching their computers. And, hey, didn't know that that was something that you could do for a a career. But I ultimately started off, I guess, in the consulting field straight out of high school. A lot of people were asking me to do a lot of different things related to IT and computer training. And I worked with my mum for about 10 years. She was running her own bookkeeping business, took me under her wing, essentially set up the business so that I could invoice my own clients. So I built my own business over time and and learned a, a lot of really amazing things and business skills. And through that also came across a lot of, I guess, cybersecurity issues as well. So people not necessarily understanding access control and data protection. So thinking that the recycle bin was a great place to store the sensitive information. And then 
needing it to be recovered after somebody cleared the recycle bin, access not being severed when directors have left the company. I witnessed some former directors logging into a CRM system quite some time after they had departed and they were manipulating contract values and I just thought why why weren't their accounts disabled you know what's wrong what's wrong with (laughs) the people in in charge of this system and you know it was was through that journey and through I guess gradual exposure to all of these things that I've kind of went uh, I'm I'm interested in this you know how do I know more how how do I get into doing this as a career because it was starting to become a lot more obvious to me that that was a career option at the time because cybercrime was really starting to ramp up. So it was in the news a lot more. So it was a lot more visible to me. So I went to uni as a mature age student, did a Bachelor of Counterterrorism, Security and Intelligence with a major in Criminology, which is absolutely fantastic. I left there and then I went to a professional services firm and started there as a a graduate, but really quickly moved up the ranks, ended up taking over the digital forensic services line for whole of Australia. From there, I was doing a lot of fraud and misconduct investigations, assisting with cybersecurity incidents, assisting with litigation matters as well. So it was quite a broad range of matters that I worked on. But cybersecurity was the area that I was really interested in and I wasn't really getting enough of that work at the place that I was. So I then moved on to a tech firm and I did get a lot of exposure to the cybersecurity side of things and both as a consultant but also on the internal security team as well, which was really good experience because you know there's tens of thousands of computers with a whole heap of things going on. So I I learned a lot from that experience too. And from there, I moved on to a startup company in Australia. They focused on managed detection and response. So essentially security operations center, also known as a SOC, and then the digital forensics and incident response team. And I was one of the first team members of that. And I eventually took over as director of the team. And that was really very rewarding being able to have a high-performing team and working on some really interesting jobs. But at the same time, I also missed having that global connection and being surrounded by people that did more than just what I was doing. And I wanted to be amongst that again. And so the opportunity at Ankura came up and I thought, yeah, this this is my thing. You know, there's a lot of really intelligent and interesting people in the company. And I think as a collective, you can really kind of serve your clients better because when you have a cybersecurity incident or any kind of business issue, really, it's hardly ever just limited to that one thing. There's going to be all sorts of other things happening in the background that you're not necessarily going to be able to assist with or you don't have the expertise. It might be a time-sensitive issue where the clients are having to find somebody else to help. But if you've got that within the organisation, 
it's of great relief to the client when you're trying to assist them in some of the worst circumstances that they're going through. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting to hear the processes and to almost normalise the fact that there is no set defined path coming into this line of work. But given that you've done such a great breadth of things and and your experience is long-standing, what kind of changes have you seen over the years in the, the sort of evolution of the kill chain cycle and how do you think we're adapting to it? So I think when we think of cybercrime, it can be useful to look at non-cybercrime, so the, the physical world as well, where every action that we take to try and prevent cybercrime causes some changes in behaviour. So we might call that you know, crime displacement. So criminals need to adapt in, in the way that they undertake their activities. So, you know, in the physical world, that might be different ways of breaking into a house as a result of added security measures. And, and it's the same with cybersecurity as well. Same with things like credit card fraud, which I found really fascinating myself and that ties in really well with cybercrime is that kind of started off with skimming when it was just the magnetic stripe on on the card and then the magnetic stripe kind of came out and went to the chip and pin or chip and signature route and so criminals needed to adapt in order to continue obtaining that financial advantage. So rather than skimming credit cards, they moved to the card not present kind of attack. So having the, say, mage card malware on websites, e-commerce websites, stealing credit card information through that rather than using skimming devices on ATMs and things like that. So I think I've found that really fascinating and just the different ways that criminals try to elicit funds. So business email compromise has been huge. Over time, we've implemented measures to try and make life more difficult, or at least some people have. It's not necessarily as widespread as as we'd like, but we implement multi-factor authentication and then unfortunately the criminals come up with methods of bypassing multi-factor authentication and that's either as using you know weaknesses in humans who have that kind of multi-factor authentication fatigue as I guess people have been talking about recently where you just push out the notifications enough that eventually someone might click accept or they use other means to bypass it. Ransomware and I guess the extortion scene is a huge one and gets talked about a lot. Back in, I think, 2012, that I predicted that ransomware was going to become a a huge thing and not going to gloat, but it kind of did. Um, But, you know, as people adapted and started backing up their data, it was a lot harder to extort people to decrypt files because people had viable methods of actually returning to business. And so we then come to the double extortion method where data is being stolen and that's being used as as a way of trying to extort victims, you know, pay up or else we're going to publish your data. And to an extent that's possibly been effective from their point of view, but 
I think that I've personally witnessed a lot of ransomware groups might threaten that and then they never publish the data even if a ransom isn't paid. So I think it's going to be an interesting space to watch to see how that progresses because you're also seeing more and more of, I guess, what you might think will turn into a ransomware attack because it has all of the same kind of telltale signs. You'll just have the data exfiltration occur and no encryption of files. So we're starting to see a bit of a shift there where a lot of the activity that might provide some additional warning signs of an attack, such as the encryption of files aren't occurring, but the data theft extortion is, I'm not sure how long that's going to go on, considering, I guess, the lower rate of ransom payments at the moment. If you consider how hard it is to get victims to pay ransom, will there be a greater focus on business email compromises again, where quite frankly, some of the transactions are really huge and probably larger than some ransom payments. Space to watch, I think. Definitely. And I think that I've heard some interesting conversations and suggestions. I think as the cyber insurance landscape changes, we've seen people come up with other ways to protect themselves. And, and there's certainly becoming a keep hearing the, the question around cryptocurrencies with are you going to be able to trace a ransom that's paid to a threat actor and then seek to civilly recover it through the courts? Is that something you agree we should be doing? Or is that something that there's a big red flag and a sort of runaway kind of feeling at the minute? I mean, from my point of view, it's not necessarily the recovery of funds where I see the benefit in it. Cybercrime is a full ecosystem where not one person does every single thing. And so there are various facilitators and enablers of cybercrime. And in order to make money, you rely on a lot of different people doing different things through the act of tracing cryptocurrency payments, you can start to establish the links between all of those enablers and facilitators in that crime type and other crime types as well, because ransomware doesn't occur in isolation. There are all sorts of other cybercrime types and even non-cybercrime types that are associated with it. So if you're collecting that data and making those links between different data points, you can start to build a really good picture about the cybercrime economy, who's involved, the relationships between different actors, what companies might be facilitating some bad activity and you have the ability to then intervene and really try to make life difficult for the criminals. And, And that's where I see the benefit If you're not able to recover the funds, gathering that intelligence and understanding the full ecosystem and then being able to come up with a method to disrupt it or increase the cost of undertaking cybercrime, making it harder to actually get that financial return on your effort, I think that's where a lot of the benefit lies. Thank you. That's a great answer. So in your career, what achievements are you most proud of? Well, there's been a bit of talk recently, I guess, of a cybersecurity award I I won last year, but it's not necessarily just one thing that I'm proud of. It's a lot of little things. Even last night, I was out at 
a cybersecurity event and somebody that had heard me speaking at a, it was essentially a careers panel number of years ago. She came up to me and she said, you know, I remember this, that and the other thing that you said and that really made an impression on me. And, you know, I want to thank you for kind of saying all those things and <laughs> that that kind of thing just really warms my heart knowing that I've I've made a difference and I've been volunteering for an organization called the Australian Women in Security Network as a chapter lead for quite a number of years as well was one of the the founding members in Western Australia it started off with four of us in a bar and now I think there's more than 100 members but through my volunteer work with that I've seen people go from the stage of being interested in security to starting studying cybersecurity to then having doubts in themselves and whether they belong and whether they should continue to, you know, supporting them and then seeing them graduate, seeing them get their first job and their promotion. And I think that's really, really awesome. So, For me, my achievements are lots of little things and being able to make that difference in in our industry, either at the personal level, so the people that are becoming practitioners, but also at the client level as well, where you're helping them go through some really tough times. So that's kind of what an achievement is to me, just making that positive impact. It sounds like you're doing fantastic stuff on the West Coast there. Final question for the podcast. So what advice would you give your younger self? Firstly, take your own advice because I give a lot of advice and I don't necessarily take it on myself, which probably isn't a great thing. I think for my younger self, you know, don't compare yourself to others. It's not helpful. We're all very different and it can hold you back, you know, especially if you find yourself being different to others and you feel like you maybe don't belong, why am I not like them? Embrace your differences and find the strengths that lie in your differences and then also, I guess, champion those strengths and lean into them. I think it took me a while to really have, and I mean, I still do lack confidence in myself and my abilities, but I'm definitely a lot better than I was when I was younger. But, you know, just backing yourself and just going for it and don't care what other people think and say. So surround yourself with good people, you know, positive relationships and just try to avoid people that try to bring you down. Bex, it's been great having you on the podcast and sharing your insight with us. I think we'll all agree it's been fascinating to see how things are working in in Australia and cybersecurity. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of the Cyber Series, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Just search for Ankura. You can follow all our latest insights and find out how we're supporting clients to reduce risks and protect business value by visiting ankura.com.